Hi everyone, we're continuing with our sermon series through the book of First Peter, after suffering glory, and we come this morning to First Peter chapter 3 and verses 17 to 22. Those of you who've been reading ahead in the book of First Peter and who are very alert will probably have noticed that our sermon series has got slower and slower the closer we've come to this passage. The verses that we're going to look at today are among the most difficult in the whole Bible. The great reformer Martin Luther said of this passage, This is a strange text, and certainly a more obscure passage than any other passage in the New Testament. I still do not know for sure what the Apostle meant. So, buckle your seatbelts and let's go. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verses 17 to 22. Peter writes, It is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit, through whom he also went and preached to the spirits in prison who disobeyed long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also, not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities and powers in submission to him. This is God's word. Some of you may remember that at the end of Peter's second letter, 2 Peter chapter 3, Peter says this about the Apostle Paul. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand which ignorant and unstable people distort, as they do the other scriptures, to their own destruction. Well, I think that Paul could easily have said the same thing about Peter. What on earth is Peter speaking about in these verses? Well, a few rules of thumb here. When it comes to any difficult passage in the Bible, we should always focus on what is clear rather than on what is unclear. We should read the passage in the light of the rest of Scripture, interpret what is less clear in the light of what is clear, and we should use the gifts that God has given his church, men and women who know the Greek and Hebrew language, who've studied the text, and who've written books and Bible commentaries that give the historical and geographical and literary backgrounds to the verses that can help explain the text to us. How do you think your pastor is so clever to understand and explain scripture? Part of the answer is that he or she reads books and relies on the work of others. So while we will address some of the difficulties in these verses, I don't want to let what is unclear in this passage cloud the very clear messages in this passage. And there are at least five things here that are clear. Remember that Peter is preparing his readers for suffering. 
their suffering at the present. Chapter 1. Now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. And Peter also knows that they are going to experience even worse trouble in the days that lie ahead. Peter himself is going to be crucified upside down in Rome during the horrific persecution of Christians under the Emperor Nero. A few weeks ago we saw that in AD 64 there was a huge fire in Rome which devastated 10 of the city's 14 districts. And the rumour began that Nero himself had started the fire so that he could rebuild Rome the way he wanted. One of the historians of the time, Cornelius Tacitus, tells us what happened next. To kill the rumours, Nero charged and tortured some people hated for their evil practices, the group popularly known as Christians. They were covered in the skins of wild animals, torn to death by dogs, crucified or set on fire so that when darkness fell they burned like torches in the night. Nero opened up his own gardens for the spectacle and gave a show in the arena where he mixed with the crowd or stood dressed as a charioteer on a chariot. As a result, although they were guilty of being Christians and deserved death, people began to feel sorry for them, for they realised that they were being massacred not for the public good, but to satisfy one man's mania. And several emperors after Nero literally tried to wipe Christianity from the face of the earth. Christians were rounded up and thrown into jails. Copies of the scriptures were burned. Christians were tortured in an attempt to get them to renounce their faith. And if they didn't, then they were executed in the most horrible ways. It was extremely dangerous to be a Christian back in the first century. And we would do well to remember that for many of our brothers and sisters in the world today, it's dangerous to claim the name of Christ. In 2019, the organisation Open Doors, which aims to minister to the persecuted church, reported that one in every nine Christians in the world lives in an area or in a culture in which Christianity is illegal, forbidden or punished. If you go to the Open Doors South Africa website, you will see a list of 50 countries that record high to extreme persecution of Christians. Places like North Korea, Afghanistan, Syria and India record extremely high levels of persecution. And closer to home, countries like Nigeria and Kenya record very high persecution. We didn't have to think twice about coming to church today. Well, in the pandemic we did. But we didn't have to sneak into church. We didn't have to meet after dark. We didn't have to meet in someone's home and pretend to be having a birthday party for fear that we would be arrested. And it's easy then for us to think that Peter's words have nothing to say to us. But if this pandemic has taught us anything at all, it's taught us that nothing in life is certain. And there may well come a time in our lifetime where we will face the same kinds of pressures that more than a tenth of our Christian brothers and sisters worldwide experience. Some of you may already know the feeling of being misunderstood 
by family members or friends, of being excluded, of being overlooked for a promotion, being forced to make a choice between doing something that goes against your Christian conscience or giving up your job. Uh, recently, for example, our South African government made the decision that marriage officers are now no longer allowed to refuse to marry same-sex couples on the basis of conscience. Uh, people celebrated a great victory for same-sex couples, but that legislation didn't give same-sex couples any more rights. They'd always had the right to get married. What the new legislation did, in effect, was to take away the rights of those who hold a different belief about the nature of marriage. And who knows what will be the next issue on which men and women will no longer be able to hold a different belief. Peter says that if you are in the position of having to suffer for being a Christian, there are five things that you need to keep on bearing in mind. I was going to tackle all five of these points today, but each point is so rich and deep that I didn't want to lose any of them by giving too much information. I'd rather us remember two points this week and remember three points next week than give all five points this week and us only remember one point. I'm sure none of you will object if we have two 30-minute sermons instead of one 60-minute sermon, and it'll be safer if we keep our in-person service a little shorter today. So those of you who are desperate to know if Christ did indeed descend into hell are just going to have to wait one more week. If we're going to suffer for being a Christian, or even if we have to face more general sufferings as a Christian, there are five things that we need to keep on remembering. Let's have a look. First, we are to remember that Christ suffered. Verses 17 and 18. It is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ died for sins once for all. This verse parallels almost exactly what we read back in chapter 2. If you suffer for doing good and endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you. Christ died for us. Christ suffered for us. Remembering that Christ suffered is both a challenge and a comfort. Firstly, it is a challenge to what I would cheekily call Vulcan Christianity. You remember the Vulcans in Star Trek, and Mr. Spock was a Vulcan, that's why he had pointy ears. And the Vulcans used to have a special greeting. They would hold their hands up and separate out their middle finger from their ring finger, and they would say, say it with me, live long and prosper. Some sections of the Christian church suggest that God's plan for us on earth is that we live long and prosper. I think that that would be a very hard message to sell to Christians living in North Korea or Syria today. In his parable of the sower and the seed, Jesus particularly warns us about the dangers of thinking in this way. He says in Matthew chapter 13, 
The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. And Peter is being a good pastor in this letter. As we've said, he's preparing his readers for this reality. He will say later in chapter 4, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering, as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ. In Acts chapter 14, we read how the Apostle Paul is stoned and left for dead. And once he's recovered, we read that he and Barnabas travel to Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. The same Apostle Paul writes to the Philippians in chapter 1 and says to them, For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. The Bible scholar Derek Tidball writes in one of his books, As disciples of Jesus, we must follow where he leads, and we should not be surprised if we arrive at a cross at some time or another. My dear friends, we must remind ourselves that following Jesus involves carrying a cross so that when persecution comes, we are not completely thrown off course. But reminding ourselves that Christ suffered brings comfort too. We remind ourselves firstly that Christ's suffering was purposeful and so is ours. Christ died to bring you to God. His suffering had a purpose. Our suffering also has a purpose. It doesn't atone for our sins. We'll see in a moment that Christ died for us once and for all. But nevertheless, our sufferings are not meaningless and random. They have a purpose. Remember chapter 1. These various trials have come so that. That's a purpose statement. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. We have seen over the last couple of weeks that to suffer as a Christian brings blessing right here and now. Last time we were together, we read verse 14, where Peter tells us, even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. We don't just have to wait until we die in order to receive a blessing for unjust suffering. There is a blessing now as we rely on Christ and experience his power working through us to endure suffering. Paul himself experienced this in his own life so that he could say, Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Looking at the sufferings of Christ brings the comfort of knowing that suffering is not meaningless. And secondly, remembering the sufferings of Christ brings the comfort that God knows and understands. 
In the words of Hebrews chapter 4, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. We have a God who understands everything that we have ever experienced or will ever experience, and even some things that we will never experience. Jesus on the cross was forsaken by his Father, so that you and I need never be forsaken by the Father. Do you feel excluded today? Are you experiencing suffering? Does it feel like God is a million miles away? It is only in the Christian faith that we have a God who turns to us and says, I know exactly how you feel. Second, when faced with Christian suffering, not only do we remember that Christ suffered, we remember that Christ has triumphed and brought us to God. Verse 18, for Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit. This is such an amazing verse because it summarizes in just a few words the essence of the good news. Look at what Peter says. Christ died for sins. Our greatest need today is not to be saved out of suffering, but to be saved from our sin. Because as Isaiah puts it, your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. And as Paul says in Romans chapter 6, for the wages of sin is death. That is far more frightening than facing suffering for being a Christian. But Christ died for sin. He died for me in my place. The righteous for the unrighteous. It's very clear that when Jesus is up on that cross, he's not there for anything that he has done. He's righteous. He's there for what I have done. I am unrighteous. Jesus lived the life I should have lived and died the death that I should have died. And then in his grace, he attributes his perfect life to my account. Second Corinthians chapter 5. He who knew no sin became sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Peter says Christ died for sins once for all. There is nothing further that can be added to Christ's sacrifice for me. My best life could add nothing to Jesus' finished work for me. And by the way, this is an extremely important thing to bear in mind when it comes to suffering. If I am suffering, it cannot be that God is judging me because Jesus has already experienced God's full judgment of me once and for all on the cross. And Peter says that all of this brings me to God. Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. We are reconciled to the God whom we have turned our backs on and run away from. We have fellowship with God. We are his beloved sons and beloved daughters. 
Can I just make sure, have you experienced that for yourself? And if not, what's preventing you from doing that even today? This is what we are to keep in mind when we suffer for being God's children. The worst thing that could ever happen to us, eternal separation from God, has been taken away from us by Jesus' death for us on the cross. In fact, it's probably a very useful thing for us to remind ourselves of this every day. God loves me. He gave his son for me. And through the death of Christ, I've been adopted into his family by his grace. I don't have to look for my identity and acceptance in what others think of me, because the one who knows me best loves me the most. I often find that I can go a long way on the compliment of a total stranger. But God himself, who knows the very worst about me, still loves me anyway. Thinking about that helps get me off the emotional roller coaster of depending on other people's responses to me. And then Peter ends this section, not just by speaking about Jesus' death, but also about his resurrection. He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit. That doesn't mean that Jesus died physically, but was raised spiritually, as though he were some sort of ghost. The Gospel writers are very clear that Jesus had a resurrection body, that they could see and touch, that Jesus could eat and drink with them. No, the word spirit has a capital S. Jesus was raised by the Holy Spirit. And Jesus' resurrection assures our own resurrection. Last week I was reading about the 21 Coptic Christians who were beheaded by ISIS terrorists on a beach in Libya back in 2015. I don't know how many of you remember the incident. And I was reading about the Coptic Church's response to the incident. And this is what Archbishop Angiolos, who serves in London, said about what happened. We've lived persecution over centuries. But the interesting thing is, we live it with a sense of resilience, but we've never fallen into a state of victimhood or triumphalism. But we realise that it is the cross of Christ we are carrying. It's not the end of the road, because there is a resurrection that comes after the cross and the empty tomb. And so it is in that hope that we continue to live. And it's in that hope that we continue to carry that cross, knowing that it will be removed from us. That's the theme sentence of our series, After Suffering Glory. Peter ends his letter in chapter 5 by saying, And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. Again then, as we saw last week, this means that we are perfectly safe in God's world. There is an eternity that stretches out before us, and so I do not need to fear those who can only kill the body, but after that can do nothing more. This is how Peter prepares men and women who one day are going to walk down the road to the local arena where they will be crucified 
or torn apart by wild animals, or killed by gladiators. And when you and I face being misunderstood, being mocked, being excluded, being insulted, being overlooked, or passed over, or fired, we remember Christ suffered. We are treading in his footsteps. He knows firsthand what we are going through. And secondly, we remember Christ triumphed and brought us to God. Even if we should die for the sake of Christ, such suffering is both purposeful and victorious because death is not the final word. We will follow in Christ's footsteps through death to everlasting life. Amen.